Welcome to the Burden and Blessing Podcast, a study and discussion forum on the truth of God's Word. Our Bible study series examines a specific part of God's Word of Truth. We pray that through this study your faith will be built up and you will grow in your knowledge and understanding of God's Word through what you hear. Welcome back to Burden and Blessing. My name is Nathaniel Mayhew, and joining me today is Pastor Neil Radical as we continue our series through the Psalms. We are looking at Psalm number 13. It's the 12th in our line of looking at the Psalms. We are still focused in the lifetime of David. And over the last couple of times that we've been looking at the Psalms, we've been seeing in his lifetime the the persecution that he's been facing under Saul and others. And we're going to see a little bit of that come out in Psalm 13 here too. Glad to have you with us, Neil. Looking forward to getting into Psalm 13 with you. Yeah, always. I love doing these Psalms. You want me to start by reading it? Absolutely, please. Okay. To the chief musician, a Psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. All right. So this psalm, we divide the 150 psalms up into five books, five divisions. This is found in the first of those divisions, book one. Most of those, the one thing that they have in common is that they're written by David. And we know that this one is written by David. So it, and it fits really well in what we've been talking about over the last couple of times, isn't it? Doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and many of those first two books are uh, national hymns of prayer or praise, which is interesting because this one, in my opinion, is not. Right. Yeah, this is, this is more, much more personal, isn't it? Yeah. And so we, we, had a, we had an example. We took a look at some of the background here, and, and this, this might fit in connection with 1 Samuel 23. Do you want to just kind of summarize what's going on there in 1 Samuel 23? It's kind of an interesting background for this. It's, yeah. really well. it's, it's definitely worth going back and reading. I'm almost, I mean, you go back and read 1 Samuel 23, 19 to the end of the chapter. David's still fleeing from Saul. We've commented before that we believe that David is off and on the, on the run from Saul. Saul always wanted to catch David, put him to death, eliminate him. But you see David fleeing south, kind of protecting that southern border, you know, Saul pursuing him. And then you see in 1 Samuel 23 that Saul's actually pretty much got him. So he's fleeing from Saul and he's betrayed. Once again, we see that more and once. We've talked about Doeg in an earlier one where Doeg betrays him uh, or tries to get in good standing with Saul. Betrayed by the Ziphites from the land of Ziph. Uh, Saul almost captures David, but the Philistines invade up north. So Saul gets the message and he really has to give up that chase and deal with them. So it's interesting when you read 1 Samuel 23, because it says that Saul has basically almost got David surrounded in the location that they know he is with his men. And so ultimately the Lord's hand has to be involved here. And, you know, with the Philistines invading, you might think if you're 
one of the people of Israel, like, oh no, the Philistines are evading. But at the same point in time, there's the Lord's doing something else that maybe most of the people have no idea. Protecting his anointed king by having the Philistines invade so they can't get him. It's, it's just kind of mind-blowing. It's awesome. It and when David's writing this, composing this psalm, he has no clue what's going on. <laughs> you know, if he's writing this in the moment where uh, what's happening, you know, he's he's in despair. Is it, It's a great psalm if you're feeling depressed and in despair. It is striking to see that that historical context. I mean, it says literally, David goes around the mountain one way. Saul is thinking, we got him now. We're going to head him off. We're going to go around the mountain the other way. And it says, David starts to head up to get away from Saul. In other words, he's going up. There's nowhere for him to go. You know, he's at the end of his rope. And what does the Lord do? He sends the Philistines in. They, they, uh, he, Saul gets a message. Hey, the Philistines are invading. You got to go stop them. So he has to give up the chase. I mean, th this is the hand of the Lord in all of this. So coming back now to our Psalm, the Psalm is really divided up into two main parts. You've got the first part and how would you describe the first part? What do you think, what emotions do you see coming out in the first part of the Psalm? Well, I love this because uh, I've been reading through the book of Job at this point in time of the year right now. And so many initial questions, these questions are at the beginning and these five questions are so much like what you hear Job ask. In fact, there's a great cross-reference here to Job 13, verse 24, which basically says the exact same thing as what David's saying. You know, when you have that, all, that outcast idea there, Job says in 13, 24, why do you hide your face and regard me as your enemy? And you have that kind of same idea here there with that first part and part of verse one. How long will you hide your face from me? And ultimately, that's why it's bringing David so much sorrow in his heart because he feels like God has abandoned him. Again, that's where a you know, little application there. Feelings can be very deceptive. We just mentioned how he had no idea what was going on. The Lord has was delivering Saul from him to go to the Philistines, which would ultimately be Saul's demise. And at the same point in time, David was feeling abandoned. And yet when he's asking these questions, just like Job feeling abandoned by the Lord, it's that utter despair where we question God's presence. We question if he's actually going to be there to help us in our time of need. Yeah, verse 2 says... And the, the phrase that you were talking about, you know, compare it to Job, and, and not just Job, but Christians throughout history, that whole question, how long? Lord, I know you're in control. I know that you are all powerful. I know that you're going to work all things to my good. But how long is it going to take? When are you going to step in? When is this going to come to an end? That is repeated over and over again here. And the first psalm that we took up was Psalm 90, a psalm of Moses. Moses says the same thing in Psalm 90. He says, how long, O Lord? How long? You, you know, we could go all the way through history. You mentioned Job, uh, Job, Moses, David. Don't we ask the same question? How long, O Lord? How long are you going to let this, this situation continue to go on? When are you going to come in and deliver me? And David says, having sorrow in my heart daily. There's, there's that emotion that I was thinking about, you know, this, it, he's just worn out from all of this. We've been talking about this Psalm after Psalm after Psalm. This is going on for years. And David is just wondering, when is this going to happen? And he kind of talks about giving the enemy the opportunity 
you know, to, to, to have the, to, to have this idea that I won, you lost, you know, to be exalted over me, uh, to prevail against David. And that comes out in that context of first Samuel that we were reading too, where, uh, Saul says, yeah, you know, he's a tricky guy, you know, he don't let him go. Cause he's tricky. He's going to get away. And, da- and Saul's thinking, yep, yeah, I finally got him. I've got, this is over, this is over, but not so the Lord had different plans. It reminds me of Moses pleading for the children of Israel. Why would you deliver us out of Egypt and then let us die in the wilderness? What is that going to say that are all the surrounding nations? And your point there about what the enemies had, you know, they're going to say that we've triumphed over him. They're going to say that, you know, where is his God now? You know, you think of some of the other Psalms that say that they say in their heart all day long, Psalm 42, where's your God? Where's your God? How is he going to deliver you? You can have his own men saying this to him at times too. You know, how come our Lord isn't delivering us? How come your God isn't doing anything? How can you trust in this God? You have the same kind of idea there. Well, and it does seem like from this psalm that David thinks this is the end. What is it that indicates that David kind of thinks is the end in this psalm? Well, I think the fact that he's talking about lest I sleep the sleep of death. If you don't yeah. interact right now, if you don't intercede, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to, my foe will triumph over me. He will prevail against me. Those who trouble me will rejoice. You know, they're going to rejoice. It, it is kind of neat too. You know, you think about what Paul writes in first Corinthians where he says, no temptation has overcome us. That is not typical of mankind. Sometimes when we look at our own situations, we think, well, I've got it a whole lot worse than you do. And the Lord reminds us, no, he doesn't give us anything more than what we are able to bear. That's also in that first Corinthians context, but with the temptation provides a way of escape. That not that kind of what we see here in this, this context too? We see a, a legitimate, historical, real-life example of what Paul says, this is the way the Lord works in 1 Corinthians. And that's it's kind of a neat thing. Yeah, I would totally agree. I, I feel like you have this wrestling with the questions, then you have this, this is what's going to happen if I, if I fall prey to this predator Saul and those who are trying to put me to death. But ultimately, you see in verse five, you know, just the last two verses, this is a total shift in just six short verses. You know, this is a short prayer. You go from those questioning of how long and it ends with, but I trust in you still. You know, it's just that daily sorrow, but yet he's still clinging to the Christ. He's still clinging, clinging to the cross. He's still clinging to that mercy, which how do we not think of Christ? When we think of mercy. How do we not think of our triune God? When we think of mercy. And ultimately, that's what we see here is that he's clinging to that mercy now. You need to show me mercy or else these things, lest these things will take place if you don't intercede, Lord. Well, you, you shifted us to the last two verses, which is that change that takes place. So like you said, you've got the, the sorrow in verses one through four, and then there's a joy that comes out in verses five and six. What I really like about those two verses, Neil, is that you've got three attributes of God, three descriptions of what God does, his mercy, his salvation, and his dealing with us bountifully. Cool. Th- those are pretty cool things. Uh, mercy, undeserved, God's love, his compassion, his goodness shown to us who do not deserve it, his salvation. He gives us deliverance, protection, all, all of that. And 
in, even beyond the salvation that we look forward to in eternity, he continues to deal bountifully with us even now, today, every day. We don't always see that. We want more. But the Lord does deal bountifully with us when we look at it. So you have these three attributes or qualities of God and what God has done for us. And then there's three responses of David and the Christian. I trust in your mercy. I rejoice in your salvation. And I will sing because you have dealt bountifully with me. So that's kind of a neat thing, too, that there's this parallel between the things that we know that God has promised and that he will bring about. And what now is the Christian's response to those things? We trust. We rejoice. We sing. I think those three things you beautifully showed goes back to verse three. Because he's asking, he's pleading for the Lord to consider and hear him. Then he uses this interesting phrase, enlighten my eyes. Literally, you could think of that as a sense of Yahweh or Jehovah, the face of God, shine upon me. Now, what we hear that from is the Aaronic, Aaronic benediction in number 625, Lord, make his face shine upon you. So ultimately, he's saying, my eyes are sorrowful. Maybe you can picture David's face, no sleep, tired just worn out, hopeless, hopeless eyes. You know, those kind of like the dead eyes idea. He's, he's basically saying, enlighten my eyes with hope. You know, that's where you bring that mercy back in. It's that, you know, I look at this Psalm and David thinks, I'm a goner. I'm done. I'm going to trust in your mercy for my forgiveness. I'm going to rejoice in my salvation. Now we could think of deliverance. He Maybe he's got confidence the Lord could still yet deliver him. But ultimately, if he thinks he's a goner, I'm going to rejoice in my eternal salvation, my eternal deliverance because of your mercy, because of the Messiah that I know is going to come from my own seed, David's thinking. And then whether I'm here on earth or in heaven, I will sing to the Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh, because he has shown me this mercy and salvation, which I didn't deserve, like you uh, pointed out. So this idea of enlighten my eyes is this really understanding of Fill me with the good news of my hope. Fill me with the gospel. Enlighten my eyes to the light of your presence, of your word, of your joy and salvation. It's really a fantastic section that I really was glad we were able to study a little bit because that enlightened of life, ultimately we see that also in Job later on after the young man who's there listening to Job and his friends contemplate everything. Elihu comes in and kind of rebukes Job for his questions, his more or less inappropriate questions of God and how God is not being just towards him. And in Job 33, verse 30, basically Elihu is saying that God does enlighten people's eyes. He does always give hope. He always gives salvation. And that's really the joy that you have in this psalm here is that you almost think, is David recalling that concept from Job? You know, Job lived before David. Is he having that same thought of asking the Lord to enlighten his eyes with that hope and with that confidence that can only come through the one true God? There is something neat about those last two verses, too, in the fact that there's something in the past but also in the future. And I, I like the way that you said that. You talked about my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. That's a future thing. And that's the ultimate thing that God wants for us. But as we look at the past, we know that the Lord has through like what you were talking about, he's opened our eyes to see that he has also not only 
does he open our eyes to see the hope that is ours in the future? And, and he can only bring us to understand that through the enlightenment that we've received through his word. But he also opens our eyes in those times of trouble to see the times that he has dealt bountifully with us in the past, hasn't he? And all of that is dependent, both the past, we might even say the future or the present for, for David, and the future is contingent on having the Lord reveal those things to us, to open our eyes to see how the Lord has been with us, how he has given us the things that we need for our daily bodily lives, but also the spiritual benefits that we've received through the reception of the Lord's Supper or when we were children as baptisms or the ongoing hearing of God's word regularly throughout our, our lives. Those are things that we often take for granted. And the Lord needs to open our eyes to be able to see, look at how I have fed you, how I have nourished you, how I have cared for you, how I have protected you throughout your earthly life. And then through Christ, ultimately, have given you the hope of everlasting life. Such a powerful thing for us in, in our own times of trouble. This really psalm is all about one's faith being tested and shaken. That's why one of the last things I want to say about this psalm is from verse four, talking about those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. It's a very interesting phrase. We're going to talk about it more in future psalms that we study too, Lord willing. Psalm 38, 16 says, for I said, may they not rejoice over me who, when my foot slips, would magnify themselves against me. You might think of the physical slip up that David got himself kind of trapped and encircled here, but ultimately that is a spiritual idea there. When my faith is shaken, that idea of shaken or being slipped up, when I am doubting, when I'm discouraged, those who trouble me are going to rejoice. Where is your God? And the whole point that David comes back to is that trust that he has, like you said earlier. So I love that. There's going to be times that any Christian is going to have their faith shaken. It's going to slip up. We're going to be moved. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help my doubting. Help my, my shaken spirit right now. You need to be my trust and confidence. And you really see so much confidence in that flip from the questions, the questioning of God to the confidence in God a lot quicker than you see with Job in the book of Job. Uh, That's true. It's, it's pretty neat to see that. But again, David could be finding comfort from Job's life, having potentially read about Job and understood what the Lord had done for him. It's kind of amazing to think about that. And then just praying for that confidence, praying that the Lord would lighten his eyes because he's definitely in that place right now where his faith is being shaken and tested. I think that's one of the, the neatest things about these studies of the Psalms is that it kind of puts flesh on these concepts that we hear about in the New Testament, like in Paul's epistles, don't they? It shows us this isn't just this nice pithy statement that, you know, the apostle Paul was able to make, and this is, this is good for me. And maybe it's good for you too, but we actually see it lived out in the lives of Christians. And we realize that the struggles that we face in our lives, they're not new. They're not unique. David struggled with those things. But what did David do when he faced those struggles? He put his confidence in the Lord, knowing what the Lord was capable of doing and what the Lord had promised to do. And that's what led him to be able to rejoice, even in this time when he thought his life might be coming to an end, the Lord delivered him, but also to, to sing to the Lord and saying, Lord, yes, I'm, I'm wondering how long it's going to be. How long? How long, O oh Lord? But I know ultimately you will, you will answer. You will answer when the time is right, when your time is right. 
beautiful reminder for each one of us in the struggles of our own lives as well. Any final thoughts? This is a very emotional psalm. We don't want to put our trust in our emotions, just like David was trying not to do, and just have that trust in the solid foundation of his rock, of his refuge, of his redeemer. And ultimately, yeah, I think I think you picked out a hymn for this that kind of points us in that direction too. So I appreciate the study. Thank you. Why don't we close with that that hymn? I just one verse from a familiar hymn in the cross and comfort section of the Lutheran hymnal. We close. My God has all things in his keeping. He is the ever faithful friend. He grants me laughter after weeping and all his ways in blessings end. His love endures eternally. What pleases God, that pleases me. Amen. Neil, thanks for joining us today. Glad to spend some time with you on this study of the Psalms once again. We're glad that you guys are all joining us as well. We hope that the Lord enriches your understanding of his word and deepens your faith in his confidence, in his promises to you and to each one of us in our lives as well. Till next time, the Lord keep you all. We hope that you will join us again next week for another episode of Burden and Blessing Podcast as we continue to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Until next time, take confidence in your Savior's promise that he will always be with you, even to the end of the world.